0: What's up and welcome to the single player experience podcast as always I'm your host Sebastian Malden and in this episode we're going to be talking about the best JRPGs and RPGs so far of 2023 and I get it I get what you're probably saying you're probably saying man pump the brakes we just got started with the year but this isn't a normal video game year because this year has been absolutely stacked when it comes to game releases So, all that said, for a topic of this magnitude, I knew I had to bring in the big guns, so to speak. So, my guest today is none other than Alex from the YouTube channel, Backlog Battle. Backlog Battle is a channel all about reviewing RPGs and JRPGs, and Alex does it like nobody else in the gaming industry. So, in this episode, Alex and I are going to be talking about the best games so far that were released in 2023. We're also going to be talking about his favorite games of all time, period. And Alex is going to be taking on the Pro Nerd Trivia Challenge. We got all this and more coming right at you right after the intro. DJ, start the intro, man. This is the Single Player Experience, the podcast that helps single player gamers manage their video game backlog. I'm your host, Sebastian Malden, and my main quest is to help you manage your ever-growing video game backlog by letting you know which single-player games are worth your time and money so that you can have the best single-player experience. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. DJ, cut the beat. Hey everyone, like I said in the intro, we have a very special guest joining us today. He is one of the best video game reviewers on YouTube he is a master of the JRPGs and RPGs, and he's currently the man watching One Piece, the one, in my opinion, one of the best animes of all time. I'm sure he agrees. Yes. This this late into the game, I think he's like what four hundred five hundred episodes in now. Is that right, Alex?
1: That is that is correct. But what you didn't know is I've actually already watched all one thousand episodes, oh. and this is the rewatch. <laughs> this is the rewatch. I like that. I like that. So you probably already guessed it. This man
0: is absolutely amazing. This is Alex from Backlog Battle.
1: <laughs> Alex, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. So yeah, I'm just so happy to like realize that you're also a big One Feast fan because, <laughs> you know, like my wife and I have been such huge fans and we watched through the entirety of of a whole series in one year and we're kind of trying to do it all over again this year for some reason because we're like hey we caught up to episode 1100 something let's go back and do it all (laughs) over again but truly excited to be here it's a real honor to be on this show and talking about games with you and apparently one piece yeah (laughs) for sure for sure before we migrate to games i want to ask you a one piece question
0: like who's your favorite villain of the show so far
1: Oh dear. Um, that's rough. Um, because there's so many good villains so in the many. show. So many. I think right now I'm kind of leaning towards um do flamingo because just the stuff that he did kind of ripples across several story arcs as well. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. the the, the Smile Factory arc and stuff, like that's this one thing that I remember. And of course the, the things that he did in Dressrosa are just so vile and so like crazy. In fact, like when I was playing through One Piece Odyssey, which of course came out this year. Like, I love that whole section of being able to relive that latter part of Dressrosa when things started escalating. And it really showed how powerful of a villain he is. In fact, like right now in Marineford and stuff, like, you know, <laughs> at the part where he pretty much, uh, for, I'm not going to mention it because it's kind of gross, but like basically took down oars, you yeah. know, in Marineford. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot that he did that. And, you know, and everybody else is just kind of underestimating him. And, you know, he's just kind of like that guy that's in the background waiting for an opportunity to strike. And at the meantime, he's taking advantage of all these kind of loopholes in the government. And, you know, I find that really fascinating. And that's not to say that the emperors aren't as interesting. But I think, like, from the warlord's perspective, you know, given that he is practically the strongest warlord out of and I don't count Blackbeard because he just keeps moving along yeah like, for sure. it was it was such an interesting arc for Luffy to kind of experience and go through
0: Yeah, I I agree with you there. Like, he feels like he's on the same level as a warlord in many ways, especially, like, strategically. And the fact that, like you said, he is this master manipulator, so to speak. And, like, he might not be as strong as a lot of the emperors, but in a way, like, his the sinister, like, plots that he has is just, it's on
1: par with everything they do as well. Mm Mm-hmm. And and if you watch One Piece all the way from the beginning, you realize that he has... He has like hooks in everything, like Bellamy at Jaya. He literally like showed up there to say like, hey, you know, you're not one of my people anymore or whatever he did there. And that's like, you know, only merely a few hundred episodes, if that like into the series, like he's already showing up there and he keeps on positing this like new era of pirates that of course is going to happen once Marineford is done I'm just like that dude is is just insane and even though he's an impel down right now I'm thinking to myself he's not really an impel down right now he's got his hooks on everything he's he has a plan to get out somehow oh yeah for sure for sure and it's it's
0: crazy to me like how well Oda is as a writer and how like well he he like plans everything out because like like you said that was a couple hundred episodes in and I'm like he has so much like of a mastermind plan I'm talking about Oda that is throughout the whole entire series to where like everything feels like it matters yeah. everything no matter how small of a detail it feels like at the moment it's like it always comes back into the later like
1: arcs or later play mm-hmm. and and that's why I kind of decided this time around to kind of chronicle my rewatching on Twitter so that that way like you know people kind of also can see my journey through it and, and almost kind of think like, you know, if he's able to go through like 400, 500 episodes in a span of like, I don't know, like three months, maybe watching all 1000 episodes of <laughs> One Piece isn't so bad, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. You make it seem not quite as daunting as, as a lot of people think <laughs> it is,
1: you know? <laughs> And that's, and I feel like that kind of translates to a lot of the stuff that I do on YouTube is that, you know, a lot of people take a look at JRPGs and stuff and see like, oh, it's anime games. Oh, it's anime games. But I'm like, but there's also an, a level of depth to it that you really can't find elsewhere or rather maybe more appropriately, the depth is, is kind of found in the different parts of each, these games. And I know that as a Western society, we always value like the real realism and a voice acting but then you know you go to these Japanese games and I'm of course including Nintendo with this as well they have this kind of very balanced way of making games within their budget but also making it making it look and feel good as well so I think that's also one of the reasons why I, you know I just decided hey I'll just keep making JRPG videos because I love the genre you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I feel
0: like we could talk about anime like all day at this point, but yeah, you know, like <laughs> let's segue into the video game sphere. For the people who may not know you, Alex, so can you introduce yourself to the audience?
1: So I have been on YouTube for almost six years now. By this May, I'll be on YouTube for about six years, and my journey through YouTube is kind of weird because I actually started all the way back in 2009. Um, I ran a very Kind of experimental channel called Games and Me. And people can still search for this, by the way. And I was like, you know, so overweight and out of shape <laughs> at the time. So I don't look like that anymore. Um, caveat. Um, and the idea behind that channel was to kind of, you know, be this communal way of enjoying games together. And it was during that time that I also kind of experimented with live streaming. And I had a whole bunch of friends playing games with me. We tried live streaming the Justin TV at the time, but it didn't work. So we kind of started focusing on YouTube. And for one reason or another, that whole idea kind of fell apart because, you know, of various reasons. Um, And then I went into the podcasting space. And I did that with my, you know, my partner at the time for, man, like, 10 years for about a decade because I told myself look I love making things right and I think doing this for 10 years is going to be really awesome just to kind of see how far we can take this show right and right around towards the end of its run I kind of wanted to do a lot more than just what I was doing and so I decided to go on Twitch I tried my hand at that and I was fairly successful I actually had like a hundred concurrent Uh, viewers at the time that I left. And then I left (laughs) (laughs) because then I started dating my wife, who was, you know, my then girlfriend, now my wife. And one of the things that we both kind of talked about is that if we're going to have a healthy relationship, just judging from a lot of our Twitch partner friends, because she she also used to be a streamer, um, there's no healthy way to manage a healthy lifestyle that allows you to step away from streaming but still also find success on the platform without making it 100% full time. So around 2017, you know, I kind of started experimenting with YouTube again. I opened up the Backlog Battle YouTube channel, which honestly like I'd made, you know, many years prior. And then I started just uploading uh, clips of my podcast, right? And then I started, you know, experimenting with all sorts of types of things. And I kind of wound up doing reviews. Like at the time I didn't really want to make reviews, but then you know, when I started doing them, like it kind of made me feel good. Like it was like, hey, you know, this actually might be my shtick, you know, like reviewing <laughs> games. And you know, long story short, here we are six years later. I'm still reviewing games. Um, I have contacts for like a whole bunch of people in the industry now. And People reaching out to me, like Square Enix saying, like, hey, do you want to review Octopath Traveler 2? And I'm like, Well, do I? I was gonna play it anyway, but (laughs) you know, now that you mention it. Um, and it's just been a total blast ever since. It's been such a crazy wild journey through social media. And I just I just love it. So let me ask you a question. Like, you've been
0: in this in this industry for a while now. What is like your fondest game review?
1: My fondest game review, ooh, um, that's the thing. Like every review that I make is pretty special in my opinion because I'm always the kind of person to try something new. So let me give you an example. So Mm -hmm. very recently, I reviewed a game in the Natunia series. You know, it was like their action game and whatnot, sisters versus sisters. And I, of course, there's a, a whole bunch of games that were out. So I, as with many games, I gave it my fair shot, never played a Neptunia game before. And it's just, just sat down and kind of like, you know, tried to play it and understand why people like that sort of game. But this was one of those games that I really couldn't wrap my head around because there was a, I think there was a quality issue with it that I feel, you know, hardcore fans are are quick to forgive that for me, not because I'm used to like high polished games, not at all, but there's just something slightly off about it. And so instead of like forcing myself to be miserable and playing through the entire game, I thought of like a creative way to express my own displeasure without making fans feel bad about, you know, my critiques of the game. Like, you know, basically I wanted both fans and non-fans alike to kind of laugh along with me and share this experience of playing through the game, at least the first few hours of the game in a way that is also enjoyable. And so I was thinking to myself, how can I do that? How can I exactly do that? And then there was an idea that popped into my head that a conversation that I had from a friend of mine a long time ago who said, man, you know, finding games to play is like dating. And I'm like, oh, what did you say? You know, like Mm -hmm. it kind of popped into my head. And so. The idea behind that video, that review, which has a question mark at the end, is what if I was dating sisters versus sisters, and it was a first date, and because we're just not compatible, there are things, there are little quirks that kind of are making me push myself away from it. Why don't we depict it that way? And so that's exactly what happened. It was literally a four to five minute video of me, you know, on camera, green screen, we were, we were in Paris. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh. Yeah, like I just kind of let her off the hook, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. That's really cool. It's almost like uh, it's
0: almost like playing a mini game in a video game, so to speak, or like a dating sim. You yeah. basically <laughs> reviewing
1: this game like that. Yeah. I had that idea originally, but that was too much work. So I kind (laughs) of figured like, let's just, you know, set the tone, set the appropriate tone and and roll with it. And people loved it. I was like really surprised, but that kind of outlines the approach that I have with all my reviews is that not one review is going to be like formulaic and the same as the other. There's certain things that need to be different in each, which is why I make these reviews, not just for people who are interested in it, but also people who might not just be interested in it, but just likes entertaining content.
0: That's a good perspective of looking at things too. And like, you always seem to have a nature of keeping things fresh. Do you ever feel like there's a a challenging aspect of like, I have to kind of like think of a review from a a different angle when you're coming at like different reviews throughout the year?
1: If it's not, Uh, from a different angle. It's a different style of doing things. Like my Trails uh, to Azure review that I just came out with was done completely with just barely any sort of script whatsoever. It was all outlined. So normally, like I would write a full script and then kind of refine it and then, you know, like compose the video. But in this case, I thought to myself, well, I don't want to rehash what i said in trails from zero because it's practically almost the same game with a few new features it's just a continuation of that story so let's try to make this a little lighter for the people who let's face it if you're not going to watch a review unless you're 100 percent sure you want to continue your story from zero and and i think where a lot of this comes from is this kind of desire to make just really good and entertaining videos that you know, you don't normally see in the JRPG space. Cause like, I think my approach is that I wanna have fun making the video as much as I had fun like playing the games. And I want to impart that enjoyment of playing video games into any of the videos that I make. Um, one video that I made recently, was on the JRPG debacle, like the term and stuff being, uh, uh, you know, some sort of, you know, pejorative. You know, from taken from the Japanese developers' perspective. And I'm really proud of that as an example because I actually managed to toe the line between critical discourse and mm-hmm. just, you know, the uplifting nature of the channel, which, you know, I think not a lot of people can do something like that deliberately in their work, like, unless, you know, they have this really weird fine tuned idea of what, how, everybody, you know, everybody in their community feels after watching it. And in this case, so many people in that comment thread thanked me for the way that I talked about it, the empathy that was demonstrated. And I think that's where it really comes from is this kind of, you know, feeling that I want to make people laugh and smile at the end of the day. And if it's because of my videos, then that's good enough for me. That's great, man. Um, Have you always been an entertainer? no <laughs> no man it seems like, like it comes so natural to you man and and that's and and i appreciate that thank you so much like no i it, you know it, the funny thing is like i used to be a really big shut in um oh wow back yeah back in around 2010 like when i was doing games and me like i was still kind of awkward back then too like anybody who watches my videos back then will see like oh yeah you're totally awkward and you know, it might sound like I'm putting on a front or anything like that, but this is just literally how I am. Like, this is how I am with my wife, my friends, you know, we have like some really kind of rousing discussions and stuff. And, and maybe part of that is like the podcast voice, because I did Mm -hmm. it for like 10 years or something. But for the most part, like I like right now I have no script. We're just talking. And yeah, for sure, this is just how I am. I've never really seen myself as an entertainer, but it's great that you think so. No, I mean, it's because of the the nature of your videos and the way, the way you and I are talking,
0: it feels so natural. And I'm like, you can always, I like, I've interviewed a lot of people now and I can always tell when someone has that it factor, whenever it comes to like, they're, they're just naturals at this. And it feels like that with you. Like, it feels like maybe it's the, the 10 years of podcasting, or maybe you got on the mic one day and you were just like killing it <laughs> and just from day one, but it feels that yeah, I have that natural feeling talking to you, you
1: know? Yeah, you're not gonna be able to force me to do karaoke in front of people. Let's put it that way. <laughs> what would, What would be your karaoke song, though? Oh my gosh, the Juness song from Persona Four. I don't know. I like that.
0: I like that. <laughs> uh, hot take though. I mean, I think Persona Five has a better soundtrack than Persona
1: Four. Ooh. You know, they're two different soundtracks, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the jazziness of Persona 5. I mean, they're, you know, immediately, as soon as you mentioned Persona 4, like, I just, the the, the song that plays when you're in the pyramid, it mm-hmm. just started playing in my head. Like, that bass line, ooh, like, it's, it's, iconic. Really, it's really good. Mm-hmm. But then when you go and think, when I go and think about, like, Persona 4, for example, it's a lot of very much, like, hey, we're in the countryside kind of, you know vibe rural vibe that has a tinge of pop and you know and that kind of I feel you know shows more about you know Shoji Meguro's talent as a composer because really like that dude is talented like I oh, yeah. wonder like what he listens to and whatever like to be able to get these really kind of solid tracks that are just become timeless. Yeah, for sure, for sure cuz I'm like um earlier this year I was replaying through
0: um Persona 3 and then like I had never played Persona 4 before. Like I I kind of mm-hmm. missed out on that one. So I was playing it for the first time and you know, I that was one of the things that really stuck out to me about those games is like the music in there. It gives it a life. It gives it an ambiance. It gives it kind mm-hmm. of that that soulful flavor and then you know like it is a completely different genre than persona 5 like like you mentioned it feels like a completely different world than that game but yet they all still feel really good though like they're really mm-hmm. easy to listen to
1: yeah you know it's it's crazy because there are people that i hear sometimes that say like oh when i'm grinding jrpgs i turn off the music and i'm like what are you doing, man? (laughs) What are you doing? And I I get that sentiment because sometimes some people do listen to podcasts like yours, like while they're grinding. And I think that's a really good thing to do. But at the same time, you know, like if you want to immerse yourself into the world, you also kind of want to hear these songs and stuff, like immerse yourself in like the, the dialogue. And I think what's really cool too, is that, you know, while it's very late, there's a lot of Japanese developers that are realizing that they could um lessen the amount of ui clutter that's happening by kind of offloading a lot of that information using audio so like there's certain characters that'll be like hey you know like how about me and then you switch to them and you kind of do the attack from them and you, you know that way there's no like weird busy you know ui that happens where it's like just things flashing in your face and you don't know what to do because it's trying to tell you too much yeah um that's a good point i
0: i I never thought about that but that is a very good point like it i you know like i was going to you know segue into what i thought was to be the topic of the show and that would be like the the best games you've played so far this year but i want to (laughs) ask you a question before we get to that i'm sure because like you made me think here the evolution of jrpgs and rpgs have become like i feel like they're subtle like evolutions that people don't Mm -hmm. quite pick up on uh, but like they're there like you see like the the way like persona persona 5 in general streamlined the way combat works you looked at Mm -hmm. the way like um a game an indie game i played the late last year jack move where like Mm -hmm. they kind of like you can adjust the the levels of like the grinding meter so to speak to where like enemies might frequently pop up or like not show up at all depending on like the way you walk and such like that like how do you Mm -hmm. feel about the
1: evolution of jrpgs and rpgs It's been an interesting thing to watch over the past few years because I feel like obviously there are multiple genres of RPGs, right? Like there's the Western style and then there's the Japanese style and they're kind of, you know, expanding into very different directions. Um, I want to focus more on the JRPG side because obviously like I'm more familiar with that as as of this time. I think like what's very interesting about JRPGs is that they're kind of doubling down right now on what made this style of gameplay popular to begin with? Um, after, right after uh, Persona Five, uh, Katsura Hashino, of course, you know, famously decided to, I guess, technically like leave Atlas, but all he did was make another development studio called Project Zero, with the intention of making a Super Nintendo RPG-inspired game that still has the modern conveniences of something like Persona. And this was called Project Refantasy, fantasy And again, you know, like one of the things that they started posting just to kind of hype themselves up, so to speak, is, you know, our kind of pieces of artwork that kind of allow them to put their heads in that frame of mind of creating those games. So as an example, they made a fake cover, uh, you know, for a Genesis game that was titled Project Refantasy fantasy with that artwork, you know, um, and... Going over to the Square Enix side, you know, when Bravely Default came out, you know, um, um, Team Asano is basically, like, now responsible for kind of creating HD2D style games, and of course, Bravely Default, to kind of honor that style of gameplay and try to improve upon that and create modern conveniences that make these games a bit more approachable, right? Like Triangle Strategy is obviously one of them. They remade Live Alive last year. They want to remake uh, Dragon Quest III, you know, and so on and so forth. And I think what, um, you know, what this really means is that the Japanese are kind of learning that they could still keep moving forward by still kind of taking a lot of the lessons that they learned from the past. And I think there's a value to that because as, the West keeps spending more and more money on more expensive uh, development projects. Like there's gotta be like a good balance to make sure that not only can people still make games and games that they love, but also do it in a responsible way, right? Nintendo has been doing this for years. There's no reason why other companies can't learn to do the same damn thing, even though, um, you know, like they make more cartoony style games, you know? When you look at something like Metroid prime remastered yeah it's not really cartoony <laughs> games so they're doing something there right and i think that japan has you know a pretty good idea of what to do right now that i feel like the west could learn a lot from oh that's
0: that's good man i love the elaborate like elaborate explanation there man. you you're like i can tell you've been doing this for 10 years because you're absolutely <laughs> killing it <laughs> thank you
1: so it's it it, and, and to keep in mind, like, I don't normally voice a lot of these opinions on the channel because again, it's, you know, it's, it's all about happiness and kind mm-hmm. of joy and bringing the joy of games back to people. So it's rare for me to be able to express these sorts of opinions on any platform. So I'm really happy to be able to share a lot of this knowledge with you guys. I'm glad I got that secret juice now out of you. <laughs>
0: So uh, I got to ask you, I want to I want to ask you, like, you've been playing so many uh, JRPGs and you've been playing so many games this year. What are I want to start by what are your top five games of all time?
1: Top five games of all time is pretty tough, but Persona 4 Golden is probably the top one, Mm -hmm. because uh, when when the original came out in 2008, um, I was actually not a JRPG fan like I've been playing jrpg fans at the time yeah right can you believe it yeah for um, sure i think i was playing like call of duty at the time think
0: about that that shocks me like that <laughs> shocks me based on everything i know about your channel and like our conversations just now i can almost imagine you as a baby with a control in your hand playing something <laughs> like Ogre tactics or something you know
1: right yeah it, it it's weird because you know it was during that time that Um, I didn't have a lot of time for long RPGs, although I dabbled every single year and I was more of a Final Fantasy fan, but I rarely dabbled beyond Final Fantasy, right? And I think what really pushed me to experiment was more of a displeasure on the direction of where Square Enix was taking some of their titles. Granted, they're not all bad, of course, like looking back, but at the time I just wanted something new. And then Persona 4 came around and I was just like, what they have like an art book with it. What they have a soundtrack with it. And so, you know, I just kind of fell in love. And keep in mind that at the time, you know, I did play through Persona One and still had my PS One copy of Persona Two: Innocent Sin. Um, no, Eternal Punishment. Sorry. At the time, so you know, to me, seeing Persona Four, comparing both of those generations of Personas is like night and day. <laughs> and it's like these could these two could not be any more different um let's see let's do this top five really quick so that that way we don't get stuck here because i could get get us stuck here for a while no it's um, all good i think oh number two let me think you know you're first actually going to
0: like number them and everything you're not just going to list out five games you're going to go in
1: order I, yeah i mean we started with the top one which is persona okay. four um and i'm just kind of doing this off the cuff um number two would probably be mass effect 2 which again would be surprising, right? It's a JRPG channel, but I've always believed that BioWare is like a Western RPG company that knows exactly what the Japanese is doing right in terms of character development. So it's not a surprise to me that, you know, Mass Effect 2, which is probably like one of the highlights of the series is pretty much like up there when it comes to RPGs. Um, Let's see, number three, maybe, no, for sure. Thirteen Sentinel's Aegis Room. So we're back to ah. RPGs. So I don't typically like tactical RPGs and a lot of my fans know this, but it's only the past few years that have really kind of gotten into it and really got my hands dirty on the genre. But this one, which came out around 2020 is just absolutely brilliant because it does something that no other game does which is to separate the story from the gameplay. And, and again, like, so what's, what makes that unique is that you're not just doing like story, 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 and then battle. You literally can do as much battles as you want or as much story as you want, or a mix of both. You know, there are places where it'll lock you out and force you to do either story or battles. But for the most part, you dictate how, you're, how you go through the game. And I thought that was just brilliant. And on top of that, the bonkers story that they're telling, which is just up there in terms of confusion and just amazing reveals, is just unforgettable. Literally one of those games where you wish that you couldn't, that you could just replay through all over again and wipe your brain of everything. Um, Number four, I think for me would be and and I'm just going to say this, the top five is not in any order, even though I'm numbering them. It's just for me <laughs> to remember how many I've said. Um, Yakuza Like a Dragon. Yes. I yes. Love that game. And I think what's really cool about it is that, and this may be a minor spoiler, but it's the reason why Yakuza is no longer called Yakuza. It's called Like a Dragon now. Mm-hmm. This is the game that tells you exactly why. And the fact that they were able to, Um, incorporate that into the storytelling itself and almost make that pretty smooth transition from Yakuza to Like a Dragon using this game is just brilliant. But also really cool. Ichiban is there, great protagonist. And that story, that development of like where he came from, what kind of person he is. And the fact that he is like a Dragon Quest fan is just absolutely phenomenal. Like that game is something that, you know, we almost played through on the PS5 when that came out as well. I, I can't wait for the sequel. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And then number five, I think it's easy for me. It's like final fantasy 14. I've been a final fantasy 14 fan since 2014, when it came out on PS4 and, you know, my wife and I play it regularly. Um, It's the perfect casual MMO that, you know, I've had friends like try out and you know, responsibly play, not like any other MMO where they're like, Oh, I have to log in every week. It's become like a very cool social thing for me and my friends. And it's got a great story and gameplay to boot. So, you know, I, I hesitate to bring up the final fantasy 14 meme, which has the free trial all the way up <laughs> to level 60 and, you know, including the award-winning heaven sword, but you've all heard it. Mm-hmm. So would you say that's your chill and relax game, the game
0: you just unwind to, the game you just relax to when you're yeah. not basically reviewing 10,000 games
1: at one time? Yeah, it's, you know, it, it it's like an afternoon where you can kind of turn off your critical brain, just do raids and, you know, dungeons with your friends, do the weeklies and just, you know, catch up on the week. It's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, if you can imagine me like having a coffee, a cup of coffee <laughs> while we're doing like raids, I'm a healer in the game. So, you know, I don't have to be, doing dps a lot mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's pretty much that it's exactly that it's a very chill game and it's it's just great playing with friends i got you i got
0: you so you know i want to segue to 2023 games um because mm-hmm. like you you've been playing a lot this year but before we get to like the, your your favorite games of this year i want to ask you with the games remaining left in 2023
1: what's on your most anticipated list Easily, the first thing that comes into my head is Final Fantasy 16, because, of course, Naoki Yoshida, who's the producer and director of Final Fantasy XIV, that's what he is producing. And Naoki Yoshida has a very interesting perspective on video games in that he's the kind of guy that is also truly a gamer. It's it's not like you know the whole you know walking a walk, walk talking to talk kind of thing. He he literally played MMOs before. He joined the the Final Fantasy XIV crew. And even before that, he helped design Dragon Quest X, which is also an MMO. So this guy loves video games and a story. In fact, there have been many photos of him at BlizzCon, you know, checking Mm -hmm. out the competition. But really, he's just, you know, a fan of Blizzard games, too. So, you know, and seeing him talk about Final Fantasy XVI, him and his crew, like, really made me super excited about it because this is a guy who knew that Final Fantasy should be dragged into the action game genre. Cause over the past few years, we've kind of had this, these half steps towards action, you know, starting with like, you know, in a way, Final Fantasy 12, Final Fantasy 13. And then of course, Final Fantasy 15 with, you know, Noctis and the boys, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that particular game was a, a weird half step because yeah, it's an action game, but you had to babysit all your other party members too And then, you know, Final Fantasy VII Remake, where they had like the quote-unquote standby mode, which is another half-step in action. And it didn't really like make people happy because by compromising the action, you've literally compromised it for everybody else, you know? Yeah, that's true. So so when Noki Yoshida basically said, you know what, let's just full-on make an action game. Let's hire the combat designer for Devil May Cry 5. Let's get inspired by the Ivalice, you know, storylines from Final Fantasy Twelve tactics, and, you know, vagrant story... And this is going to be 16. And once he said that, I was like, cool, Um, I'm down. I know exactly (laughs) what you're doing. Yeah. So
0: I got to ask then if like, if just chaos happens in the gaming industry and they announce like, like a dragon two is coming out this fall, like Final Fantasy is coming out this year and Persona six was announced for this year. Would that still be the number one anticipated game on your list?
1: Ooh, that's tough.
0: I gotta hit you with some tough questions.
1: That's the thing. The thing is, though, like I've known too much about the industry that I know for a possibility, I know for a fact that we're not getting a persona six this year. No, for sure not. And of course, like a dragon two is not slated this year, it's for next year. Mm -hmm. But I still would say I would probably be more excited about 16 because I do have a lot of faith in what they're trying to do. And I stand by what I said when you know i critiqued the fact that the half steps towards action is what really held back the final fantasy series over the past few years you know there's a reason why nobody does something like that like these half steps because you are compromising the game design So, like, when uh, Yoshinori Kitase, who's the producer of Final Fantasy VII Remake, said, oh, we're going to add, like, a turn-based mode in Final Fantasy VII Remake, like, my doubt meter started ringing. I was like, there's Mm -hmm. no way. There's no way this is going to be, like, the original Final Fantasy VII. And sure enough, it didn't. And it just frustrated people. Because there is a prevailing thought that Final Fantasy should be turn-based. But I think this is coming from the notion that Square Enix doesn't know how to make an action game. And yeah. I think Final Fantasy 16 is a great statement piece to say, actually, we hired the right people for this. This is a real Final Fantasy action game. And this is our vision of what that looks like, non-compromised by any, you know, by anything. And I, I do really think that 16 is going to turn a lot of heads.
0: Man, I'm excited for it. Like, do you do you already go into that? Had knowing what your play style
1: is going to be? Yeah, I mean, I imagine I'm just going to play it like Devil May Cry 5 or something, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like doing combos and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy who is doing the combat design, he single-handedly made some of the most exciting combat decisions for Devil May Cry 5. Like one of the things I love about that game is that, you know, like other players can quote unquote play alongside you, like, you know, as you're doing your combos. And I thought that was a bonkers idea, but, you know, he was able to execute it pretty well. So, you know, who knows what that means for 16 or if it even materializes in some form in that game, you know? That's interesting.
0: So I got a segue into a, the weirdest question you probably ever got asked. But
1: okay. if Kirby absorbed you, what kind of powers would Kirby get? Oh, man. I think, hmm. I actually thought for some reason, like, you know, what would he spit out? Like, when you gave me that question, mm-hmm. like, and I'm like, hmm, um... I think the, the thing, the power that he's probably going to get is the ability to create things. So maybe like, you know, being able to paint things or sculpt things or something. Cause I, I grew up with a family that loves, you know, indulging themselves in the arts. And i always, and whenever I tell the story, it's, it's kind of funny because I kind of saw my aunts and uncles, like they are like a group of, you know, super Sentai characters, you know, (laughs) you know, my uncle was, is really good at, You know, kind of gardening and kind of the more carpentry type tasks, like the handyman type of tasks. My, um, one of my aunts is really good at, you know, um, fashion design. My other aunt is good with music. My mom is really good at interior design. And my grandma is really good at floral design. So that's five people right there whose lives like really inspired me to pursue the creation of things. And I think at, my, my age, which a lot of people think I'm younger. I'm 43 years old. Um, a lot of <laughs> a look on your face. Yeah. Cause I was just like, <laughs> I thought you were younger than you too, as well. I'm like, you sound so youthful. <laughs> Thank you. It's a lot of water. Um, <laughs> a, the, you know, just kind of taking a lot of those inspirations from my, my five relatives and stuff. Um, even my dad, my dad is like a big, you know, kind of technology nut like he actually owns his own business and stuff like just the confluence of those things really affected me and how I perceived art and growing up and and of course naturally I want to take the time to also thank my fourth grade teacher who you know also kind of opened my mind on what art could really be apart from just you know the typical painting drawing and uh, sculpting kind of thing Um, I still remember um, there was like a a drawing by picasso made done by done for stravinsky he was drawing stravinsky and my fourth grade teach art teacher basically said okay turn that upside down try to draw the image upside down like fix it and i was like wait what <laughs> and just doing that like very simple exercise kind of you know allowed me to unshackle myself from like the traditional definitions of art and I was able to see things already very differently at a very young age. Um, even then, like, I was like, I, I, you know, I remember during that time too, I actually taught myself to do programming. Cause at the time I wanted to do, you know, to make like video games. And I was like, you know, I was, it was crazy cause I was like in fourth grade, you know, teaching myself programming, <laughs> but uh, yeah, all, all that stuff happened. It's, it's been kind of a crazy ride as you can tell. <laughs> it really has been. So like, You've been creating for a very long time at this point,
0: like from fourth grade all the way to now. Like, do you feel like and like what's the biggest things
1: you've learned along this journey? Let's see. Um, I think I think one of the things that I learned is that copying others is only part of how you understand things and make your own work. And the reason why I say that is because I typically give away a lot of my ideas for free. But the secret to that is that I'm the only one that understands why. (laughs) And that's actually key to growth, because if you're just copying people, it there's it's only a matter of time until the copying catches up with you. And then all of a sudden it's old and stale now, you know. but by understanding why people make the decisions they make, you actually get a different sense of appreciation for the work and also putting your own stamp onto what you're quote unquote copying, that in a way you're turning it, you're turning it into your own work. Now, I'm not in the habit of copying other people's work, but I think another way to describe that is to watch and kind of learn and really question what and why people make certain decisions when they're making certain things, whether it's a TV show, a movie, um, you know, even reality shows for that matter. Like I'm a huge RuPaul drag race fan, (laughs) And, and, and I, uh, you know, I always question some of the Production decisions and editing that they do, like you know, one of the things my wife and I talk about is like, oh, the the way that they're editing this person means like this person's gonna get ejected from the show, and sure enough, you know, they get ejected <laughs> from the show, um, and and those sorts of things. And not a lot of people approach the media they consume in that way. Like a lot of us just kind of consume, consume, consume. But I just think about like how much richer our lives would be if you added just a question or two of what you're watching. It doesn't have to be like something, you know, world changing or anything. It's just, you know, something for your own education. And you'd realize that there's so much wonder and just so many things to learn from the world that, you know, you just can't learn by yourself. And you, you kind of have to take that and, and try to ask yourself like, well, th- what does that mean to me? What does that say about myself asking these sorts of questions and why am I answering them that way?
0: Oh, wow. So you're always constantly evolving and constantly learning, basically.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's why I said, like, every review is different. Whether mm-hmm. people notice it or not, you know, to me, like, I see what's different. But, you know, every time, like, somebody says, oh, this is a great video. it's the best you've ever made. I think to myself, well, thank you. You didn't actually know, like, what went into that. But the fact that my subconsciously, my audience can can enjoy it. I think that's what brings joy to me, too. And that's really what counts. OK, uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. You you know,
0: like the way you talk and the way you like um, talk about like your evolution and the way you think and everything, it sounds you almost strike me as a pro athlete in the way that like, they're <laughs> always having to study film and the way they're always evolving and such like that. It's a it's very Kobe Bryant-esque. And I,
1: I really admire that about you. Thank you. Thank you. I wouldn't compare myself to Kobe Bryant. but <laughs> I, I, I have heard of interesting uh, things about you know Steph Curry and how mm-hmm. he kind of approaches things too. Um, you know, there's a book that I was reading recently that kind of talked about Steph Curry and how, you know, like Steph Curry doesn't all have good days, and what does he do during those off days that make him still feel? you know like integral to the team especially it's helpful now given that i'm trying to build a team of my own so it's like it's you know these kinds of conversations about you know group things like basketball or as silly as it is a ruPaul musical like <laughs> on the show or something these are all kind of informing me of you know ideas of what i might want to try out you know creation wise you know this this just
0: strikes me and it's like a further illustration that people are layered like, like, yeah, I, I could, ex- I completely expected you to be a One Piece fan. I, the RuPaul thing throws me completely for a loop and I love it. Like, I absolutely love it. It's just, there, like, there's more to people than what you see on YouTube or what you, you hear in a podcast, so to speak. And I absolutely love that.
1: I wish I could talk more RuPaul in One Piece. You know, <laughs> unfortunately, that's outside of the boundaries of JRPGs. Yeah. Like, I've tried my best to try to insert that somewhere, but people are like, man, RuPaul, I don't like that show or, you know, or One Piece, I don't watch anime. And I'm like, oh my goodness, how how do I make sense of all this? How do you have the time, man? I, that's how, that's <laughs> why I'm wondering at this point. It's like you
0: re- review so many games and you have videos coming out constantly. How do you have
1: the time to watch RuPaul and um, One Piece? See, that's kind of the interesting thing is that, you know, a long time ago, I encountered, um, you know, and talked to a whole bunch of people, who aren't necessarily even influencers or content creators. They're just, you know, business people. And I think one lesson that they imparted on me is that if you incorporate, the, you know, the way that you see your creativity with, into everything that you do, there's always going to be creativity. So even watching TV, for example, there's a level of creativity there that you can't do elsewhere, right? Like watching a TV show doesn't have to just be watching a TV show, it's also like opening discussions, talking about the stories, how they framed it, and and all these sorts of things. Um, and so you know, while it seems like I don't have time for a lot of this stuff, like I actually do have just a normal time that everybody else has. Um, when I pursued you know, YouTube, I you know, I told my wife, I was like, I'm going to do this full-time. I know that's risky because we're not making a lot of money yet, but, you know, I just want to, you know, make this my, you know, 40 hour week job. And I stuck to that for the past six years. I told myself it's a 40 hour week job. The job is actually making the videos, not playing the games. And I think setting that boundary actually made it a lot more fun, you know, like knowing that, okay, your nine to five is like either making videos or doing a lot of the admin slash accounting work to make the business, you know, stay afloat and separating that from the actual work, you know, the rather separating the work stuff from the actual fun stuff, which is playing games. I found is like really the most important part, you know, like I'm still, you know, going to work much like everybody else is, except sometimes I can actually say, well, I have a block within this, you know, eight hour day so I can play more games. So I'll do that for one day and, and so on and so forth. And I guess this is all to say that it's a management, it's a time management question, but also realizing that there's 24 hours in a day and you, what you choose to do in those 24 hours is up to you. But, you know, to say that, oh, you're locked in because of commute and my job And whatever you need to do is kind of ignoring a lot of the other hours that you can spend actually pursuing your passion. And in fact, like I see so many YouTubers and Twitch streamers doing exactly that. It's like so many people still have their 40 hour week jobs, and yet they're managed to be Twitch partners in the span of a month or two and really thriving even despite the hardships and having fun to begin with. And I think that's also the other piece too is that If you don't love it, then, you know, then why are you doing it, right? You know, and to me, you know, having that experience back in the games and me days, you know, being, you know, like trying to do a YouTube channel really kind of informed me of like what it could be to make this like a full-time, you know, source of income. And admittedly, we're not quite there, but like there's no day where I'm not working hard to achieve that goal and I'm just thankful for my wife and you know her belief in me that I can accomplish something great here man that's magical like I love that I absolutely love that I love the
0: passion that you display in in pursuing all this and like it shows like your your work you always seem to to be loving like a game and what you're doing and telling us about a game so like thank you for that by the way
1: yeah, I I that's that's all I want. I want people to rediscover their love for games cuz really we get so many bad news about games whether it's companies or shady stuff they're doing. There has to be a counterbalance for that. We need more of that counterbalance in in you know, games news and everything. And I I feel like I'm you know, I'm I don't know rallying like the, the rest of the community <laughs> and stuff to do something similar. So
0: It's always fun to have that positive spin on things because uh, you're right. It it is an industry that's uh, oftentimes surrounded by negativity. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like some of it's intentional, but most of it isn't. It's just like a happenstance of like sad natures of what happens in this industry. But it is one of those things to where like uh, we we often like we often kind of like hide the goodness in the in the darkness of all that kind of like news and everything like that. So Mm -hmm. it's nice to have that positive outlook.
1: Yeah, it's exactly. It's, you know, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus because that's not just not what I am. But like one channel that I really, truly loved, you know, we kind of started around the same time. And then I kind of noticed that they started changing, right? They started covering a lot more negative stuff as opposed to like more uplifting stuff. And it was my personal choice to stick with the more positive stuff. But because they shifted towards covering more, Controversial stuff, like his channel grew like big time, like huge, um, in the span of just a few years and stuff. And you know, obviously, he's known in the community and stuff. And I still love his work on occasion, but it's like it's really to me that the reaction of the community to that is a great example that we really truly need a counterbalance to all this negativity, right? Like you know, a lot of a lot of people who even try to be positive online can't avoid being negative sometimes, like on Twitter, like, you know, I love the kind of funny people, but sometimes they can be prone to a lot of negativity as well. And I'm just like, no, that's a trap, people. It's a honeypot. You know, you don't really want to do that. And, you know, I think it it requires a lot of thought to really think about, like, what to put out there and to choose what, you know, what you want to say out there. Like, for me, like, you know, to be quite honest, like I was a little uncomfortable even talking about like that one person and stuff just now. But I think, you know, the best thing about, um, you know, the industry in general are actually the good parts. And unfortunately, like you, as you said, it's being overshadowed by a lot of this negativity. Like, you know, the Game Awards last year, like I, I wanted to revel in the excitement of talking about what won Game of the Year and stuff like that, like Elden Ring and all that. But then it, a lot of it is mired by like, uh you know how did they vote this stuff i you know like these people don't know like what they're voting for and i'm like come on this is supposed to be a celebration and you're already poo-pooing the celebration you know like yeah, get for over sure. it for sure yeah, the,
0: yeah there's like uh, there's a balance between being passionate and then and that led that passion um, overshadow into a negativity and i think a lot of people quite haven't figured out that balance
1: to be honest and and i think it's an ongoing process mm-hmm. you know i I'm, I'm not just speaking for myself but i think together as an industry, you know, especially with the term doom scrolling being a part of people's vernaculars these days, it's kind of like, well, that's a pretty good indication that we need to change something to, for the positive. Yeah, for sure, for
0: sure. And you can be critical about things without being overly negative. I think, you know, a lot of people lean to, and almost embrace the dark side, so to speak, versus, yeah. you know, being just being critical about something. But, you know, I, I, I admire what you do because like, you know, we do need that that light, not like the light night, so to speak. I was about to say like the dark night, but we already have, we, we basically already have too much darkness. So you're almost like the
1: the light night of the games industry. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think one of my inspirations actually um, comes from Ratatouille of all things because <laughs> yeah. I, have you watched that movie oh I yeah i love it you know. love it so mm-hmm. you remember the, sweet, the the speech that antonigo says at the end after yeah. tasting yeah. the ratatouille mm-hmm. so that pretty much i feel encapsulates a lot of my feelings towards um criticism you know like how you know we should champion the new just as much as we you know we're critiquing things and i think you know just finding that right balance is really the most challenging thing because I almost see like video creation and scripting my reviews kind of like a a weighing scale of sorts right like I have to obviously make sure that all the criticisms are on the table but I also have to balance and make sure that um, a lot of the positive stuff the the truly positive stuff is also brought to light because let's face it a lot of criticism these days are mostly negative anybody can nitpick anything but the most difficult part about you know doing game reviews is to find the best parts of games like it's it truly is you know and i think it's a very underrated skill to be able to genuinely say like oh this game actually has this really good even though this part isn't working quite well so that's my personal take on it that makes complete sense
0: i admire that um well, so like speaking of reviews and everything like that, what, what's been your favorite games of
1: 2023 so far? Oh, geez. Well, I have to mention One Piece Odyssey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it is so true to the One Piece legacy and the storytelling. And even though it's like a side story, right? Like these kind of dream scenarios really spark the imagination. Like, you know, we're talking about Marine Ford. Right? Mm-hmm. And that game allowed me to relive Marineford in a very different way because, you know, for any One Piece fans you know, who are in the know, Luffy didn't have his crew at that time. No, not at all. Yeah. But in a One Piece Odyssey, he gets to go back to Marineford with practically his entire crew to see if there was even a way, if he could even stand a chance to... You know, well, I'm not going to spoil it. You'll just have mm-hmm. to watch it, everybody. It's only 500 episodes, man. Um, <laughs> no biggie, and, uh, just 500. No biggie. Um, and yeah, like, I, I think that's, you know, I think that's probably like one of my favorite games of the year, just because it's, it's one piece. It's great. Um, man, I'm trying to figure out the order here because I want to build up to something. Um, <laughs> let's see. You know, I... I also reviewed Wolong Fallen Dynasty. That is actually a really cool game. It's obviously a bit kind of buggy on the PC, but I like it because it's kind of like a cross between Neo and Sekiro, and, but not as hard as either game. It's actually easier. So from a Souls-like perspective, it's a great kind of introduction to the genre, even though it's still kind of punishingly hard for some people. Oh, yeah. Um, that
0: first boss really gives it to you, though, too. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Really gives it to you, but um, after that, I feel like it it scales kind of downwards in a way to where it feels feels more accessible than any other Soulsborne game I've played recently.
1: Yeah, the the one boss is it, mm-hmm. and then everything else is smooth sailing. Yeah, <laughs> just, for sure. <laughs> just that one, really, just that one. Um, let's see. I also love Fire Emblem Engage. Now, I know there's some people who say like, oh, the story is whack and whatever. But I think it's also missing, you know, like what it was also trying to do, which is there's no sensible way to make a serious storyline with, you know, getting a whole bunch of, you know, characters from Fire Emblem history, using them as rings and incorporating them into this adventure. There's no plausible way to do that, that I know of. I'm not a writer for a game, I wouldn't know. <laughs> but as a as somebody who has experienced a lot of stories, it would look like a freaking carnival if they even tried to make it serious. So I think the approach of that is like, well, why not make it a, a carnival? Like, wait, let's make it silly. Why mm-hmm. not, you know? Um, and, and I loved it for it. And the kind of, thing that I really love about it ultimately is the gameplay, because the gameplay certainly didn't suffer from the change in thematics. A lot of people actually love the level design of that game. And of course, like all the changes that they made with the battle system, they brought back the, you know, the triangle, you know, kind of uh, system for the weaknesses and strengths, which is great. And, you know, it's, it's just awesome. Like, I love that game. Like I had so much fun playing that game. That's great. Um,
0: I almost yeah. wish, like, I think my perfect Fire Emblem game now is, like, engages gameplay with, like, Three Houses, like, narrative and world building. I love, like, I love Three Houses because of, like, the, the way we got to interact with uh, the characters, the lore, the, the world that was built there. I think that, like, the integrating both those aspects to me would be my perfect Fire Emblem game.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like, they kind of tried that, obviously, and engage mm-hmm. by having, like, specific fights for specific you know, classic Fire Emblem characters, but, you know, something more expansive I think would be interesting. Like you said, Hmm. I think I want for my next one, I think I'll say Theorithm Final Barline. And this is a game that I know a lot of my fans really in a way slept on because it's a rhythm game. I still don't agree with that sentiment. I think, there's something really unique to playing a game of another genre that has some of those RPG elements that is also just as interesting. Right. Um, but I get it. There's, there's some sentiments in my community where it's like, Oh, I played a rhythm game and then I dropped it, which, you know, I totally get. Um, I don't know how much of them actually played a theorism game in the past, but to me, like Rhythm final bar line is not only a celebration of 35 years of final fantasy, but it's also an RPG too, you know, there's levels, there's different abilities you can equip. You can't just, you know, steamroll a song just because, you know, or you're really good at like rhythm games. You need to have, consider party composition. There's so many things to consider, you know, just playing through that game that elevates it just from being like a, I don't know, like Hatsune Miku clone or, uh, you know, a guitar hero or rock band clone or something like that. Um, let's see. How many did I say? That's like three. I think that's three right there. Okay. Hmm. But you were building up.
0: I, I like the, yeah, I, the ramp up, so to
1: speak. Yeah. So so okay. So to Wait, recap four, I had right? four, I think. Yes, yeah, one piece. Mm-hmm. One piece odyssey. Yeah, because I one piece Odyssey, Fire Emblem, mm-hmm. and then hmm. Woolong. Theorithm. And Wulong. It, mm-hmm. Okay,
0: that's, that's four. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, that is four. Man. Okay, so <laughs> I think <laughs> there's a lot of really good games. So I'm telling you, it's a stacked year. Yeah, the fifth one is is pretty easy for me. That's Octopath Traveler 2. Like ah. it improved so much from Octopath Traveler one that it made a lot of the complaints from that game just seem trivial by comparison. Like there's still things that they didn't do, like incorporating the party into somebody else's story. But I think what they did was they honed in on the quality of the storytelling on a per character basis that making the other party members be involved in that story wouldn't make a lot of sense because of the higher stakes nature of each of the stories but it also had a variety of different flavors so like temenos and crick it's really temenos but crick is like his assistant is more like a you know a Sherlock Holmes and Watson kind of story, for example. And then you have Casty, who is your resident amnesiac slash, you know, nurse, who, once you go through her story, it becomes less about her amnesia and more about, like, who the hell, you know, like, what the hell happened to the world surrounding her? Um, And then there's Particio, who is my favorite character in the series, who, you know, even though he's a merchant, he wants to practically take down capitalism, you (laughs) (laughs) you know, for the better good of the many. So, and it's just very kind of wholesome nature, um, you know, storytelling mixed with a whole bunch of different flavors, dark, otherwise that, you know, it's almost like eight different JRPGs rolled into one, but of course they're, they're the same party. So, um, I truly, I really, truly enjoyed it. And it's, you know, on my channel, like I have, um, a banner that I always update every time, like, you know, a, I feel like a good game is deserving of it. And, Octopath Traveler 2 pretty much sits in the middle, which is actually the best spot for any game to be in on that rank because you either fall on the left or the right side, but to be in the middle, those are only reserved for like the very special games. Man, that's cool. You should have
0: like uh, almost like a banner legacy kind of thing. Almost like you remember the Mortal Kombat Towers? so to speak yeah. to where you can like almost it's almost like paying homage to where how far you come like on the website you should just do that you oh know like goodness that'd be pretty cool um
1: that, yeah that would be pretty cool like to kind of look back a year ago and be like mm-hmm. this is what this looked like a year ago you know <laughs> like, yeah it would be crazy um yeah like for the longest time 13 sentinels is actually in the middle and then it ca- kind of get kept getting pushed back by like elden ring and then xenoblade and who knows what else is going to take over that middle spot it's kind of crazy Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure for sure i got one final
0: question before we move on to the final topic of the show the final sure. segment so to speak i want to know like if you have what is the game or the the games that you would give to just anybody where you would like you need to check out this jrpg e- even if you're not a fan of jrpgs
1: Hmm. That's a very good question. Um, I don't want to make it a cop out and be like, well, who am I giving it to? But mm. um, I think for me, the most immediate thing that comes up, <clears throat> excuse me, for some reason, I'm, like hitting puberty or something. Um, <laughs> I think Tales of Arise okay. because like, that's an interesting game to me because I think that bridges the gap between action players and turn-based players in very unexpected ways. Now, a lot of Tales fans will probably disagree with me on this, but the fact that the Tales series has wanted to have like a massive hit for a long time, and they finally have it with a Rise, kind of shows that the industry and the fans are pretty much ready for an amalgamation of sorts, like blending some of the ideologies behind turn-based combat with something more action-based. And I think that you know, out of all of them you know, Tales of Arise did that quite well. Um, There's still obviously like a lot of um, growing pains and and a lot of that sort of thing, which is why like I made a guide for the Mm -hmm. game for combat. But for the most part, like that success, that game success really showed people that, you know, like there's a hunger for this sort of gameplay, mixing real time and turn-based in meaningful ways. And, and the way that I described it back in a day was, it was almost like I was playing a more manageable version of Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom three, because all you're doing in that is just like, all right, tagging out, tagging out, tagging out. <laughs> and just, you know, it becomes that sort of gameplay li- that you'd see in that game. And, you know, and it's just so satisfying to take out waves and waves of enemies with so many cool powers. It's, it's really, really cool. And I do think that that is certainly one of those games that'll, you know, make people, you know, turn around and be like, you know, maybe there's something to the genre that, you know, I haven't really taken a look at closely. Maybe, maybe, you know, this is the time to do so. I like the recommendation. You played this on PC, I'm assuming? I actually played it on PS5, but I do have the PC version. I've played through much of the PC version as well. And so, you know, that's just how big of a fan of I am am of the series (laughs) at this point that I, I loved it so much and I played it twice. In fact, um, when uh, somebody gifted me a Steam Deck, I literally installed my Steam Deck and started, <laughs> started a brand new progression on it just because, you know, just for
0: shits and giggles. <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool. It's, uh, so now that you have the Steam Deck, is that one of your preferred consoles right now?
1: Um, Yes and no. There are games that I just can't play that are even brand new on there. Mm-hmm. Not because, you know, Steam doesn't recommend it, but they literally crash... <laughs> <laughs> oh no on there yeah uh there's this game called redemption reapers that um i wanted to review and I, I, I thought to myself "Ooh, this is gonna be great on the steam deck and literally when the when the opening movie plays i can't do anything so you know i've had to try to find time to you know sit down in front of my computer to play it but i'm just mm-hmm. like oh i really just want to play it on my steam deck <laughs> this shouldn't be that difficult you know so, yeah
0: I feel you on that one. I feel you. Maybe, you know, this feels like Gen 1 of the Steam Deck. So maybe as, you know, maybe as like future iterations come out, we'll we'll fully integrate like everything, like everything will be playable on that device, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, right now, like, even though it complains that I don't have enough RAM, I'm actually able to play Forspoken even for a tiny bit on there. Mm -hmm. So the fact that like this one game, right? Redemption Reapers doesn't want to run is just baffling to me.
0: (laughs) It's the the one stubborn one basically at this point, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was able to run the Resident Evil 4 remake demo. Why can't this other (laughs) game play it? Crying out loud. That is baffling. That is baffling. So Alex, you got time for
0: one last segment? Yeah, for sure. All right. So this one is probably the hardest segment of the show. And you, you've you been incredible so far. But I, I, but And I really hate to do this to you. But I'm going to have to hit you with the hardest segment known to man. It is our Pro Nerd Trivia Challenge. This, Alex, is where I'm going to ask you five different questions from five different topics of nerdy categories. If you get all five correct, then you earn the title of Pro Nerd. The record oh, stands man. right now of just one person getting this prestigious moniker, but I feel like you're gonna join them in the Pro Nerd Hall of Fame. Are, are you oh, up man. to the challenge? Let's do it. All right. So this is almost who, who wants to be a millionaire, like, but without the the lifelines, so to speak. So I have right here on my screen, right here to the right, the wheel of destiny. It'll spin uh, randomly and land on you know different topics, and we'll that's where we're getting our topics from. So let's let it rip. Your first topic is in the realm of Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so. All right, on Gen 1, there is a Pokemon by the name of Seal. Seal evolves into which Pokemon? Is it Sfeel? Is that your final answer? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, that is incorrect. Seal evolves into the Pokemon
1: Dugong. Oh, okay. I should have known this. Dugong is a thing in freaking One Piece. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It> <laughs> yeah really.
0: <laughs> it really? Yeah, I forgot about Dugong in, in One Piece. That's, that's yeah, so funny.
1: I know. That is so
0: Rick. funny. All right, so you're. Let's spin the wheel right now. All right, so the wheel has officially landed on Disney. Mm. So I like that. Uh, I think you're you're prepared. You hit us with a Disney reference earlier with Ratatouille. So I feel like you you at least know your stuff on Disney. Mm-hmm. All right. So in a Goofy movie, what was the name of Goofy's son? Max. You got it. Correct. Yeah. <laughs>
1: we just watched that like last year so. Oh I my goodness. So I love
0: much. it. I love it. <laughs> One of my favorite Disney movies, to be honest. Yeah
1: classic it is so good it's so good the Powerline soundtrack oh so good <laughs> it is. yeah it's, it's great oh man like i I'm, I'm a big disney fan so if it lands there again i'd, I'd be set and <laughs> be like oh yeah bring it to
0: me i like that i like that so all right next up we have star wars okay all right so all right what is the name of the hoop of the wookie's home world what is the name of the wookie's home world
1: oh man oh i can't ah it's almost at the tip of my tongue uh ah. are you excited for jedi fallen ah. order by the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> the <Wookiee> South. <laughs> that's just my answer i freaking forgot um but yeah i'm totally excited for it um i talked about the uh you know, Jedi Fall in Order as a you know as a great like to start with, and yeah. that that actually started a whole other debate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I'm looking forward to that game.
0: Um, I feel like this is almost like the year for licensed games for some reason. Like it's just yeah, it seems like we've gotten quite a few of them. Um, mm-hmm. but the answer is Kashyyyk.
1: That was literally like <laughs> what well, I was gonna say. Why didn't I say it? Oh my god! Go I with should, your gut. Say it. I know. I should have just gone with my gut. Okay. Go right. with your I'll, gut. I'll, I'll All do right.
0: It. I'll do it next time. All right. So you missed two. You got one. But you're doing yep. pretty well so far. All right. Okay. So the next category is in the realm of the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay. All right. So. All right. What? In the movie Iron Man, or the Iron Man franchise, that is, what is Pepper Potts allergic
1: to? Hmm. What is she allergic to? My goodness. I was going to say garlic. Let's go with (laughs) garlic. I don't really remember. All right.
0: So she says, and, and I quote, there is... There is only. Did you know? There's only one thing on Earth that I'm allergic to. Strawberries. Mm. Allergic to strawberries. What movie was that from? That is from the movie Iron Man 2. I believe that is about like, you know, About it's 42 minutes in, I want to say. It's the one
1: movie that I that I haven't rewatched more than <laughs> once.
0: It oh really? You that. only watched that that one one time?
1: Yeah, at the movie theater, mm-hmm. and for I don't know. Like I think like I like one and three a lot. And for some reason, like for part two and stuff, I'm like, yeah, it's cool that, you know, there's like a whip villain and stuff. Whiplash. Yeah, you know, whiplash. And I'm just kind of like, all right, you know, I can move on to the next one. It is so. the most
0: forgettable one. I- I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. It's the most forgettable
1: out of the three. It's it's, it's tough to even remember a single thing about it, including the name of the villain, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like if you even asked that question, I probably wouldn't have remembered. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I understand. I understand. Yeah. I you know the MCU has that like that sequel problem where the second one is probably the most forgettable if they have a trilogy, but except for Captain huh. America, because I think that's yeah. probably one of my favorite MCU movies, The that Winter was, Soldier. Uh, that, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That so was great. Good. So yeah. good. Really good. All right. Really. So, yeah. So the wheel on the final spin of the wheel, you have a topic between, you have a choice between topic A or topic B, like. It'll, as soon as you choose A or B, it'll let me know which one's A and which one's B. Which one are you gonna choose? Let's do B. All right, all right. So, um, I hope you're familiar with the realm of Harry Potter. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: okay, well, let's try it. All right, all right, so. All right, what type of animal did Professor McGon- McGonagall transform into? What was her animungus?
1: Hmm. I'm just going to guess and say lizard. That was
0: very close, but it was a cat.
1: <laughs> that was not close. <laughs> that was not close at all. I wow. feel like
0: it was within the realm of something that uh, a, a witch would have as a pet or a wizard yeah. would have as a pet. A lizard, sure. I feel like that's in the realm of it at least.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it has four legs. Why not, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's yeah. <laughs> I mean, vicinity? What's an amphibian, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Man, I really suck at this. That's that's probably why like I don't like do trivia. But if I did say Kashyyyk, that would have been two points, dang yeah. it, but I did it. So go with it's your okay. gut. Go with your gut. Yeah.
0: But do you would you like to take the see what the road not taken would have been if you would have chosen A? Sure. All right. So if you would have chose A, it would have been in uh the genre I think you probably know pretty well. It would have been in Nintendo. Okay. Yeah. So in Nintendo. What was the highest selling Switch game of all time? Or what is currently the highest selling Switch game of all time?
1: Hmm. I want to say Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. That is correct. That is absolutely <laughs> correct. <laughs> and it's not even close. It's yeah.
0: not even close.
1: Yeah. It's it's insane how much that game sold. It's really crazy.
0: Yeah, I, it's almost to the point to where I'm like, if you have a Switch, you probably have Mario Kart 8 Deluxe at this point. More than likely. More than more, likely. More than likely, for sure. Yeah. Alex, you know, it's re- been really fun having you on the show. Before you go, though, I, I want to say thank you because this is it's been an honor talking to you. It's been an honor having you on the show, and I absolutely loved having you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I really had a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to talk about a variety of different topics And really, like, my hope is that for people listening and stuff, if you've ever been wanting to, like, try out streaming, even just for a hobby or even, like, making YouTube videos or, heck, TikToks or something like that, like, and you want to try to do it, you know, on a regular. Like, I hope, you know, my journey has inspired you in some way, because I do think that the more we create in this world, the better, you know, we're going to have it, because I think... There's so much destruction that's happening right now that we need more builders than there are destroyers. So I hope you can be a part of the creators of the world. Man, you're absolutely killing this. You're
0: you're <laughs> absolutely killing this. Like I legitimately, I was gonna ask you before you go, do you have any words of inspiration to the to the listeners? And like you already took care of that. So
1: okay, <laughs> Alex, you know
0: you, you you've wrapped everything up so smoothly. I instead of that, I'm gonna ask you. Alex, what is the food you're gonna be snacking on
1: the, today? Mm, I've actually avoided snacks, so maybe like just animal crackers or something. <laughs> yeah, okay. again, a wholesome snack or something. Okay. I mean, what's the
0: what's what's dinner looking like today? What, what's on the menu there?
1: Ooh, I it's a whole bunch of different things. It might be burgers. It might be um, I, I have like a recipe for Mexican pizza knockoff oh, from good. like Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know, sky's the limit.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really good, Alex. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show, and I'd love to have you back anytime. In the meanwhile, though, thank you, and I would We will catch you at YouTube.com/slash. you know, um, dude, I blanked. Oh my gosh, I blanked. <laughs> I was doing so well. I thought I. I was. I was counting my chickens before they hatch because like I was just giving myself my flowers in my head. I was just like, Sebastian, you killed this episode, but (laughs) youtube.com slash backlog battle. Is there anywhere else you'd
1: like to shout out? You, You know, the plug spot is all yours. Uh, I think pretty much like you'll find me on youtube.com slash backlog battle. And, you know, if you post a comment and stuff, there's a high likelihood that I'll respond. I'm just really in the trenches when it comes to my community, because, you know, like I want to keep this place as positive and very kind of, you know, for the love of games as possible. So if you place a comment there, I'm pretty sure I'll say hi and even respond to what you're saying. So hopefully I see you there man,
0: I was doing so well. I was. I was (laughs) was counting my chickens before the hatch. I was like, Sebastian, you did the damn thing today. And I was like, yeah, tripped up at the end. But regardless, thank you so much for being on the show. Until next time, we will catch you later. Bye, Alex. Bye. All right. So that's a wrap for today's episode. I want to give a special shout out and thank you to Alex from Backlog Battle for being on the show today. I also want to let you know about the Single Player Experience Discord server. It's the perfect place for single player gamers to talk about the good single player games they've been playing lately and to get video game recommendations. Think of it kind of like a book club for single player gamers. The link to join will be in the description. Once you're in, feel free to share your video game backlog list, talk about the good games you've been playing, or give your feedback on the show. If you have a game that you think should be recommended or that you think I should talk about, let me know in the single player experience discord server. I'll see you there. Before we go, I just want to thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Stay safe, stay gaming, and I hope to catch you in the next one. Peace!